Hello, travelers! Welcome to the Summer of Fun! Sabrina and I are on break for the summer, but we still want to give you something to listen to. So we'll be doing little solar episodes on any topic related to true crime or the paranormal. Today we're heading back to Memphis, Tennessee to cover the case of the West Memphis Three. And hi guys! How's it going? I am so sorry that I am late on this. Um, I have been moving back to America, and also I have been at a German summer camp when there has been no Wi-Fi. Uh, legit just in the middle of the German forest. It was so nice. It's so relaxing, but I am back in the USA. I am happy to be back, and now that I'm back in the USA, um, it'll be much easier for me and Sabrina to get these episodes out to you. Um, so thank you for your patience, and let's get into the case of the West Memphis Three. Um, now, I know we haven't had a Memphis-specific episode, but I consider Memphis my hometown, as, so this links back to the Hometown Bound episode. In this case, it's a really big case, and I really, really wanted to cover it, so let's get into it. West Memphis lies across the Mississippi River, not in Tennessee, but in Arkansas, but it is still considered a part of the Memphis city. It is a big shipping city with about 20,000 people living in West Memphis, and the best cheese dip comes from West Memphis. Seriously, it's called Poncho's Queso. I've been craving it ever since I went abroad. It's like a staple of my childhood, and it is just so good and the only Poncho's restaurant is in West Memphis and it's just oh mm, mm, it's so good <laughs> anyway it's May 5th 1993 three eight-year-old boys Christopher Byers Michael Moore and Stevie Branch go riding bikes through their neighborhood it's the 90s, people aren't locking their doors, and with the more dangerous Memphis across the river, the boys were in relative safety. Until they didn't come home for dinner. Their parents, rightfully worried, contacted the police and filed missing persons reports immediately. The officers go on high alert as they search throughout the night for the boys. The next morning, the boys are found dead naked and hogtied in a drainage ditch in the Robin Hood Hills neighborhood of West Memphis. The boys had been beaten, and one of the boys, Briars, had been mutilated. The officers went into an investigation immediately. Now it was the 90s, and satanic panic was in full force. Satanic panic was a time in the USA in the 1980s and 1990s when people claimed that metal music and certain types of media were corrupting the youth and turning them towards Satan. Thus, in Arkansas, a very Christian and a very Republican state, satanic panic wasn't a panic. It was very real. So it was no surprise that the officers instantly jumped to saying that the boys were killed due to a satanic ritual. And thus, this led the officers to their first potential suspects, Damien Eccles. Damien Eccles was 18 at the time and a self-proclaimed Wiccan, which is a big no-no in the South. He was considered a troublemaker, and notably, he was said to have depression, which caused him to drop out of school. Eccles said that he did not know the boys and weren't linked to them in any way. The police officers insisted and actually enlisted the help of a concerned mother, Vicki Hutchinson. Vicki claimed that her eight-year-old had seen the murders but was unable to identify who did it. 
Vicky agreed to help the police to try to catch Eccles by going with Eccles and another 17-year-old, Jesse Miskelly, to a supposed satanic ritual. The three of them went to a cornfield, where Vicky reported that the ritual happened and then descended into an orgy, where Vicky asked Eccles to take her home. Miss Kelly stayed behind. Vicky then told the events to the police and reportedly passed a polygraph test, meaning that she was telling the truth. But why did the police... Why? Why? Why did they... What? Why did they enlist the help of this mom in the first place? What? Make it make sense? can't just have citizens going out there and doing vigilante justice. What? <laughs> the police now had their second suspect as well, Jesse Miss Kelly. Now, Miss Kelly is said to have an IQ of 72 and to have an intellectual disability. It is incredibly unethical to interview a suspect like Jesse Miss Kelly, as young people and people with intellectual disabilities are prone to falsely confessing to a crime. But the police did it regardless, questioning Miss Kelly for hours without taping it and without his parents or an attorney present, which is against Arkansas law and I believe federal law, as Miss Kelly was 17 and needed to have a guardian with him in the interview. Miss Kelly confessed to the crime and put him, Eccles, and a third suspect, 16-year-old Jason Baldwin, who was Jesse's best friend, at the scene of the crime. All three were arrested, the headline reading, The West Memphis Three Behind Bars, and the trial began. The trial began against the boys, even though there was no physical evidence to link them to the crime, and each boy had a solid alibi for the day of May 5th. Miss Kelly was tried separately, and his trial began in January 1994. His attorney, rightfully so, thought that his confession was false and coerced, as Miss Kelly falsely said that the boys had been sexually assaulted and that they were tied with ropes, even though they were actually tied with shoelaces. The police claimed that he was simply confused and misremembered. Unfortunately, Miss Kelly was found guilty of first and second degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. And you'll see why I said unfortunately later. Eccles and Baldwin's trial began after Miss Kelly's. Miss Kelly rightfully refused to testify at the trial, forcing the prosecution to rely on circumstantial evidence, like the fact that Eccles read Stephen King and listened to Metallica. Also, on the prosecution's side, they had a confession from an inmate that said that Baldwin admitted to doing the crime, and two classmates of Eccles reported that Eccles admitted to doing the crime at a softball game. The defense tried their best, trying to call another teenager who left for California that night of the murder to, to the witness stand to potentially confess. However, the judge didn't allow the defense to bring the teenager to the stand. On March 18, 1994, they were convicted of first-degree murder. Eccles, being 18, was sentenced to death, as Arkansas is a death penalty state. Baldwin was sentenced to life without parole. And that's the end of the case, but not quite. This case didn't sit right with many people, and I hope I presented the facts enough so that it doesn't sit right with you either, as it was too swift, too messy, and had too many holes in it. Why were they using a mom 
to find out if the satanic ritual was real. They didn't have any physical evidence. They didn't have any DNA evidence. Like, why wasn't a more proper investigation done? So it didn't sit right with many people, and it didn't sit right. And it didn't sit right with filmmakers Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sinofsky. The pair released a documentary titled Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills on HBO in 1996. That's when I was born. <laughs> the documentary raised people's awareness of the case and pointed out the many holes in the case, calling into question the police officers and how thorough they were in the case. The sequel was made in 2000 called Paradise Lost 2 Revelations, and various books and films covered the case. This case also gained the attention of many celebrities, a notable few being Johnny Depp and the frontrunner of Pearl Jam, Eddie Vader, coming to the defense of the boys. Then something shifted in the early 2000s. In 2004, Vicki Hutchinson, you know, the concerned mother that somehow ended up helping the police, recanted her confession, saying that the police threatened to find her guilty of the murders if she didn't lie and say that it was Eccles and her friends, which is just a huge revelation for this case. Because it shows that the police were targeting these boys, first of all, but secondly, that they were threatening to pin the murder on other people if they didn't cooperate with the police. Oh, I, I, what? Just, oh my god. But it gets even crazier than that. In 2007, a hair was found in a knot of one of the shoelaces, and using DNA technology in 2007 that they didn't have at the time in the 90s, they found that the hair didn't belong to any of the boys. In fact, the hair belonged to Terry Hobbs, who was the stepfather of Stevie Branch, who, of course, denied any involvement in the murders, but it's... It's like, are you... Are you... What? <laughs> there was also the additional evidence that during the deliberations of Eccles and Baldwin, the jury foreman, the head of the jury, brought up Miss Kelly's confession, which was inadmissible evidence in this trial and not allowed. So, just so much is coming up of being like, this was done incredibly poorly, incredibly too quickly, and these boys might truly be innocent. With all this new evidence and new DNA evidence, an Arkansas judge vacated all three convictions of the West Memphis Three on August 11, 2011. The three of them then took Alford plea bargains. This is a type of plea bargain that maintained your innocence while still pleading guilty. A bit of complicated legal stuff, I don't know. Um, they were immediately released, saying that they served time served, as they should be, and while officials officially closed the case and dusted their hands of it. And so, the West Memphis Three were set free. Paradise Lost Three Purgatory 
came out in 2011 cataloging these events, and the Innocence Project has jumped in on this case, filling an amictus brief, which is a friend of the court brief, in which they offered their expertise in DNA testing and innocence claims to the Arkansas Supreme Court. Why the Arkansas Supreme Court? Because Eccles has filed a motion to have the DNA tested to find the killer for these boys. But a judge denied the claim as Eccles was no longer in jail and the case was closed. So the Innocence Project has agreed to help Eccles in his case to get the DNA tested and to bring these boys to justice and find the actual killer who may or may not still be out there. Which is very scary to think about. The Innocence Project is also fighting to get the West Memphis Three completely exonerated and their records wiped clean and they have a petition to help the boys. If you would like to sign it, I'll try to put a link in the show description. Now, all of the West Memphis Three walk as free men enjoying their lives. Eccles has published two books titled Life After Death and Yours for Eternity, which is a love story from death row, um, as it's a collection of letters between him and his wife while he was on death row. So it's very sweet, and all three of the men are doing really great. Eccles is very outspoken. He wants justice for this case. He attends, he attended uh, a film festival in 2011 for the third Paradise Loss, and he sometimes uh, jumps on other movies that are very similar to his, or onto cases very similar to his. Um, so he is really fighting for justice for the three little boys. Miss Kelly and Baldwin are just living their lives, and having a really great time. Um, so I'm glad that they have been freed and I hope that in the future we will find out what actually happened in this case and what happened to these little boys because it is absolutely tra tragic and I'm just glad that these men did not have to continue sitting in jail for a crime that they did not commit. Anyways, thank you guys for joining me on this episode back to Memphis, Tennessee. Like I said, Sabrina and I are on break, but I have a feeling we'll be coming out of our hiatus soon. So stay tuned for our duo episodes, our normally scheduled programming very soon. Um, yeah, and be sure to like and share this episode wherever you find your podcast. It's a great way to help us out. Thanks for listening and stay terrified. Bye!